Welcome to Our Ball Python. My name is Larry, and I will be your host, and I will be discussing ball pythons as a non-expert owner, and I hope you will follow me on my adventure in the upcoming episodes. In this episode, episode two, we will be talking about snakes as therapy animals and emotional support animals. So sit back and enjoy. Since starting my podcast, I realized I was under misconception. My focus for this episode was ball pythons as therapy animals, and we will discuss this to a point. But I have found Rain is not a therapy animal by definition. She is, though, an emotional support animal. That being said, maybe you too will learn the difference. I take the more I seem to prepare for my episodes, the smarter I seem to become on the subject. I found this to be true of anything that I start researching and learning. And like I said, I'm 62 years old. I'm still learning, so everybody else can still learn against a little bit. It's important that we know what a therapy animal is, what a service animal is, and what an emotional support animal is. So let me tell you a bit about each one. We're going to talk about service animals first, go into therapy animals, and into emotional support animals, which will lead me directly into my story about rain. So beginning in March of 2011, only dogs are recognized as service animals. A service animal is a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for a person with a disability. And generally, anybody under Title II or Title III of the American Disability Act must permit service animals to accompany people with disabilities in all areas where members of the public are allowed. So in other words, according to the American Disability, service animals are not pets. They are workers. So therefore, they get to go anywhere that is deemed necessary for the person with a disability. Now, under the ADA, like I said, the state, local government, businesses, and nonprofit organizations that serve the public generally must allow service animals in to accompany people with disabilities. This is only trumped, if you will, if the service animal becomes unruly, aggressive, whatever, then they can be asked to leave. And a service animal must always be under control of their handler, such as harnessed, leashed, tethered, unless their disability prohibits that, and then they must be under voice control. Now, if you ever run across a service animal in a place where you work, then you're allowed to ask two questions. One, is the dog a service animal required for a disability? And two, what work or task has that dog been trained to perform? That's the only two things you can ask. You can't ask about the person's disability. You can't require medical documentation. You can't require to see special identification card or training documentation on the dog. Nor can you ask to have the dog demonstrate what he's trained for. Again, is the dog a service animal required because of a disability? And what work or task has that dog been trained to perform? Now, we're going to hope that if you ever ask those two questions, you get honest answers. I'll leave that up to you how you interpret that. In addition to the provisions about service dog, the ADA regulations have a separate provision about miniature horses that have been individually trained to work or perform tasks for people with disability. Now, that may be 
recognizing indications of a possible seizure coming on that may be for seeing eye dogs that may be for diabetics going into a diabetic coma these dogs are trained at all kinds of things but they also must be housebroken now that's all i want to cover on service animals i'm going to cover just a little bit now on therapy animals and founded on proven scientific benefits of interacting with animals. Animal-assisted therapy is a growing field that uses dogs or other animals to help people recover from or better cope with health problems, such as heart disease, cancer, mental health disorders. And according to Psychology Today, studies reporting on animal-assisted therapy found positive outcomes and overall improvement of emotional well-being in those with autism, medical conditions, and behavioral issues as well as being helpful for those battling illnesses like depression, schizophrenia, or addiction. Now, I have read that people with autism and people that are nonverbal are actually the most receptive to snakes as therapy animals. And I don't know if that's because the snake is slow-moving or if it's just the feel of the snake as it moves across the skin, if it is... Just the pressure in the hands, exactly what it is. Maybe it's because the snakes tolerate us so much. Maybe it's because we know that at a moment's notice, the snake's not going to get up and run away or start barking or whatever. You know, once you get a snake in your hand, you know what the snake's going to do. It's going to either sit there or it's going to slither around just a little bit. It's not going to have any fast actions or reactions. The most common kind of therapy animal is a therapeutic visitation animal. These are often pets that go to various places such as hospitals, schools, detention centers, nursing homes, and other places of care, but the animal returns home with its owner at the end of the day. They are used to help people in the aftermath of a traumatic event also. Dogs are the most common type of animal utilized in therapy, but Cats, rabbits, snakes, you know, even rats and hamsters have all been shown to provide exceptional therapeutic support to people in need. Like I said, dogs once cornered the market on being therapy animals, but now bunnies, pigs, ducks, like I said, even snakes are making their way into the laps and hearts of people with a range of conditions. I read an article and I talked to, his name is Steve, and I don't want to mispronounce his last name, so I'm not even going to go there, but he is the New Jersey snake man, and his name, his name is Steve. We had a real good conversation, and at one time he had a young lady that worked for him that took snakes into a place called Health Point, I believe it was, might be High Point, and you can Google that and try, like I said, either High Point or Health Point and snake therapy, and there's a little article in there where they took the snakes around through the facility and a lot of people you know no i don't want to mess with them but then there was a lot of people that really engaged with them and it seemed to help and it did seem to make them happy at least for a little bit now this is not something that steve does on a regular basis and that employees no longer with him but uh, you know i sure would like to be able to read some more about either somebody in his care or in his employee or somebody else even you know getting into something like that and having snakes as therapy animals visit either hospitals or you know nursing homes something like that i believe that kids are from what i have experienced Personally, I believe kids are more into being open to hold a snake, pet a snake, than adults are. Anyway, now then let's go into what an emotional support animal is. 
and not all animals that individuals with a disability rely on will meet the definition of a service animal for the purposes of the ADA. According to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, an emotional support animal is an animal that provides emotional support alleviating one or more symptoms or effects of a person's disability. Emotional support animals are slightly different than therapy animals, whereas a therapy animal is trained specifically to provide emotional support or psychological support to people in need, and emotional support animals provide their human with a strong and comforting emotional connection. Emotional support animals provide companionship. They relieve loneliness and sometimes help with depression, anxiety, and certain phobias. But they don't have the special training to perform a task that assists people with disabilities as a therapy animal does and as a service animal would. So emotional support animals, like I said, are not limited to dogs, though they may sound similar. However, because they are not doing a job similar to service or therapy animals, they have fewer legal accommodations. So a service animal is trained to help with a disability, not just CNI dogs for the visually impaired, but they also can tell, like I said, when an epileptic seizure is coming on, when a diabetic shock is coming on, and there's numerous others, I am sure. A therapy animal is trained, you know, they go through their obedience training and then they go through some more training to where they learn to you know, get up on the bed, lay down next to uh, a patient, let them be hugged on, petted on, that kind of thing. And they go through some more training. An emotional support animal, if you have a pet right now, he or she can be your emotional support animal with no training other than what you've given. If you think an emotional support animal would be beneficial for your health, Talk to your mental health provider. An emotional service animal can be an animal that you already share your life with, like I said. Or if you don't have one now, you can go out and adopt. And, you know, we ask online, I see everywhere that we're asking people to use a breeder or adopt one from a refuge or from a friend instead of going to one of these box stores. And I'm sure that, you know, the box stores, I'm not sure where they get their snakes, but, you know, the breeders can tell you a lot about their snakes. Whereas when you go to a box store, you may have a high school kid that doesn't know anything about snakes, but, you know, knows everything about dogs. And he's going to come over and sell you a snake. And he's going to say, oh, yeah, you got a Mojave. And sure enough, you don't. You've got a blue-eyed Lucy. Of course, they're way two different things. But some kid that going to high school, having a part-time job, going to college, part-time job, may not know what kind of snake you're getting. So maybe it would be better to go through a breeder. So anyway, although emotionally support animals do not have the professional training, basic obedience and manners are essential so that they behave in public spaces and do not add stress to your daily life. You know, you don't want your dog going to Walmart or local grocery store and barking at everybody because all that's going to do is disrupt and going to make you more nervous. So you don't want a dog that does that. If you don't have an animal in your life and you're listening to this podcast, let me tell you that having an animal in your life can be a life-changing event for anyone. And I mean, you know, if you've not experienced the simple basic joys of animals, you just don't know what you're missing. Whether it's, you know, my snake that we're holding and petting and just feeling the calmness, whether it's our bearded dragon and watching him run around his enclosure or interacting with him, him sitting up on my shoulder, One of the dogs jumping up in my lap and laying their head on my chest, giving me hugs or licking me and telling me, you know, that they think I'm great. 
If you don't have an animal, you do not know what you're missing. And I will tell you, one of my favorite sayings is, I hope that I am half of the person that my dog thinks I am. If I come in mad, upset, you know, could be crying because something bad has happened, my dog loves me no matter what I'm in, you know, and they're going to help bring my mood up. The same thing with reptiles. There's just something about holding one, feeling the calmness, like I said, that just makes you feel better. Now back to the script a little bit. Can you take your emotional support animal to work? Well, employers are required to provide responsible accommodation when requested by an individual with a disability. And so if you think about service animals, they have to let them in unless it's a danger that they can't go in to you know, a dangerous situation where the animal couldn't go. I think to a power plant I used to work in, it had grates for floors on most of the places. You couldn't get a service animal in there, and so he couldn't go to work with somebody there. But if it's, you know, somebody in an office, then if they're in a wheelchair, you have to make accommodation for the wheelchair to get up and under the desk to do the admin work. So you have to make the accommodation for the service animal. Ask if you have an emotional service animal. Can I bring it to work? Let them be the judge of it. If they say no, ask them why. If they, you know, tell you that it would be a disruption, then you have to sit down and work something out with them. But it has to be a reasonable accommodation. If you have a big corporation, they're going to take it up with their HR and their legal, probably get it settled where you could have your emotional support animal, I am guessing. If you work for some small company, maybe not. Now then, here is probably the most important thing I'm going to tell you all night. Yes, I paused on purpose there. Again, the most important thing I'm going to tell you all night. For an emotional support animal, there is no requirement anywhere in the United States that says you have to register your animal as an emotional support animal. All you have to have is a letter from a mental health doctor, counselor, therapist, somebody that has a license with a license number that can write you a letter on letterhead and they know what they have to put on the letter for an emotional support animal. They give you that letter, that's all you need. Basically, there are, oh, I probably run across 15 or 20 databases out there online that if you pay them, they will guarantee that they will put your animal in the database and send you a letter saying that it has been certified and added to the database. All they're doing is adding it to the database. That certification letter gives you nothing. That database gives you nothing. All you have to have is a letter from your medical doctor or your mental health doctor, and you're done. Do not spend your money on one of these databases. Now, through my research, the biggest reason to have an emotional support animal letter is or housing accommodations. So if you go to an apartment that says no pets, you take them your emotional support animal letter from your doctor and say, here, my doctor says that I have to have this animal, then they have to accommodate. If they don't accommodate, go to the uh, Fair Housing Act or whatever it is in your area and or get with a legal person and let them fight it out. But according to HUD, then housing has to let you have your emotional support animal with you unless, again, it is disruptive, it tears things up, it's aggressive to other people. So get a snake. They don't bark. You don't have to clean up poop when you walk them outside. And most of the time, nobody's going to know you have it in the house anyway. Now, when you take your emotional support animal into a store, and I've seen them like in grocery stores, Walmart, whatever, people carrying around dogs and that kind of thing, and the managers let them do it. I've not seen anybody walk around with a snake. However, you can, but if the manager asks you to leave, then you do have to leave. Again, they're not protected like service animals are. 
call the airlines if you're going to fly. Again, airlines can treat them like pets, and so they may have you put them under the belly of the plane instead of up in the cabin with you. Call the airline and make sure, see how they handle that. Now, I'm going to give you one more definition tonight, and this is going to lead into our story because this is how we found out about our story. So what I'm going to tell you about is something that used to be called pseudo-seizures. I still call them that because it's easier for me to say pseudo-seizures than to say psychogenic non-epileptic seizures or PNES. I can't, I can't remember the four letters even to, to shorten it down to the PNES unless I've got it in front of me like I do tonight. So PNES or pseudo-seizures usually have a psychological cause such as a severe mental stress. However, they're different from epilepsy as they do not show changes to the electrical impulse of the brain. Now, a person who is experiencing an epileptic seizure has epilepsy. Typically, these epileptic seizures occur when the electrical disturbances in the brain's nerve cells cause the person to lose control of their body. Their muscles may jerk, they may seize up uncontrollably, and they may lose consciousness. Now, pseudo-seizures or PNES tends to affect people who have experienced trauma or who have a mental health condition or psychological stress. And the stress may be due to a single traumatic event or an underlying chronic condition. But like I said, in epilepsy, there are brain waves that register when they're tested and it shows electrical activity in the brain. The pseudo-seizures or PNES does not show any special brain activity like the epileptic seizures do. Now, after all of that definitions, I almost feel like a school teacher here. We're going to give you all these definitions, and then we're going to use it in a story, and then we're going to take a test. Well, we're not going to take a test, and I'm not going to use a whole lot of this in, in my story, but I thought that was good information that everybody should know. Now, in, I think it was 2021, might have been late 2020, but my wife started having these pseudo-seizures, or PNES, and we took her to the hospital where she was seen, she was admitted, and she was tested. And I was there when they were testing her, and by then I had learned what to look for, so I would let the person performing the test know that a seizure was coming, and they would watch for the brain activities and mark their little papers, you know, said she had one here, had one there, and that kind of thing, and didn't show any kind of abnormal activities. Well, we, she was in the hospital, and I got to tell you, you know, we've been married for 42 years now, so we were married 41 years at the time, if it was last year. But I had a bad joke on my part. She was laying there in the ER, and she just had one of those seizures. And I told her, I said, well, you know, now's the time to quit your job at Walmart. Go ahead and get a job with Sherwin-Williams Paint Company. And, you know, we could probably get some more money out of it. And she said, well, what would I do at Sherwin-Williams Paint Store? And I told her, I said, well, you know, they could always use a good paint shaker. Well, she laughed. It wasn't well received by all the kids. But, uh, you know, she knows me. We have the relationship that we have. So she knew that I wasn't really making fun of her. It was just trying to lighten the atmosphere there. So it's just the way I am. So now then let's fast forward to 2023, I think it was. And at some point, either in 2022, 2023, we're sitting here holding rain and we're betting on her and watching her you know, move around in her hands and crawl up on her faces and get behind her glasses and you know just doing what she does and we had a conversation about that when we held rain that it's just so calming and so comforting and you know it may be because you know we're not really paying attention to what's going on around us but we're just paying attention to her 
and that's where our focus is. Don't know, but we just, when we hold rain, it's just a nice calming effect. And if you have a snake, then you know what I'm talking about. You just seem to get lost in them. Anyway, I was getting ready for work, and I worked as a locksmith at the time, so I was leaving the house, and she started shaking. Now, when my wife goes into these pseudo-seizures, or PNES, she has two types of seizures. And one of them is, I mean, it's just her body tenses up. She shakes all over. And I mean, it's if you've seen somebody have an epileptic seizure, it looks just like that. And you just can't do anything except let it take its course. The other type of seizure that she has, not necessarily really a seizure, I don't guess now, but she just has these shakes. You know, she walks and she kind of bounces when she walks. Or if she holds her hand out, you know, her whole arm shakes, her whole body shakes, and she has to hold on to the cabinet and just, you know, she just sits there and shakes. So that was what she was having that morning when I was getting ready to go to work. And she said, here I am, I'm shaking again. And she was sitting down in the chair. And I thought, let me go get rain and see what happens. Because she is calming and we've had that conversation. As soon as I grabbed Rain and handed her to my wife, it was immediate. I mean, as soon as she had Rain in her hands, she stopped shaking. Instant. And you talk about mind blown. And that's when I started thinking about ESAA animals, therapy animals. And now I know I said in episode one, Rain as a therapy animal. Well, she really is our therapy animal, or at least my wife's. But by definition, she is an emotional support animal. And I bet you I could take her around here and there'd be plenty of people that would like to see her as a therapy animal if we could come and visit. That's not what I'm in here for. I'm in here to, as an owner, and again, just to kind of help you learn a few things about your snakes that maybe you don't know. Like I said, I have read that uh, people who are nonverbal, people who are autistic, seem to respond well to snakes. Maybe it's how slow they are, like I said, how they are non-judgmental, how they tolerate us, you know, how they move when we're holding them. And if you're a snake owner, if you have the time, if you have the ability, especially if you know somebody who has anxiety, if somebody who has epilepsy, ask them, can you bring your snake over and see how they do with them? Even if it's just as an emotional support animal, you let them know that what you've learned here today and maybe you can introduce somebody else to a new kind of emotional support animal. Maybe you introduce somebody and they become a new snake owner. No matter the outcome, the act of kindness by offering to do this or even by doing it, you will reap benefits forever. Now then, a couple of the reasons or some things that I've got here about why snakes might be a better ESA emotional support animal or therapy animal than a dog or a cat or even a bird. First of all, once you get past the initial setup, bought your snake, bought your enclosure, bought your uh, substrate and your lamps and your lights and everything to go into your enclosure. Once you've done that, snakes are really less expensive than any other pet. You don't have to buy them toys. You don't have to buy them food all the time. You know, seven to 14 days, you know, you're feeding them and it's what, five bucks, maybe six bucks. You know, at least that's what it is around here. Snake habitats are pleasant to look at. Got a aesthetic about them that, you know, you can put them anywhere and it looks good. You know, it's not like a towel or a blanket you throw down in the floor for a dog or a dog bed. It just lays there. It's, the way you set them up, it can be very pleasant. Snakes are hypoallergenic. Not heard of anybody yet that's allergic to a snake. Now, birds dogs, cats, they all have dander of some kind or another. People allergic to the dander are going to uh, have a reaction. Again, snakes don't have that. There's no hair to sh shedding. You know, 
snakes do shed, but generally it's in one piece. You pick it up and you toss it and you're done. And you're not sweeping every day to get all of the dog hair picked up. Again, they're calming. They are quiet. Again, never heard a dog or never heard a snake bark like a dog or growl or, you know, I've heard a few of them hiss, but I've never heard rain hiss or anything. She's pretty quiet. Relatively low maintenance. Change out their water, rotate their substrate around, the little house cleaning in there when they poop, urinate, whatever. But there's not that much to it. And like I said, you're not cleaning up for Ephraim when you go out at night for a walk. There is a group out there that I've heard of, uh, seen a part of a video podcast. And if I'm not mistaken, their whole purpose in life is to provide snakes as therapy animals, especially to vets with PTSD. I've reached out to them to hopefully interview them for an upcoming episode. Haven't heard back from them, but hopefully I will. If I do, then we'll go ahead and get them in here and visit with them. As I said in the episode one, I've got plans to interview people. However, they may not come online. They may not want interviewed. So things may change from episode one to episode three to episode six to episode eight. Who knows? But I hope you're going to be with me. I have added a button up at the top right-hand corner, and you can support the podcast to help pay for the hosting and so forth like that if you want to. Not asking much of anything, you know, to buy me a cup of coffee type thing if you would be interested in that. It's just something new I've added, want to let you know. So that's going to conclude my show tonight. Going to get to the outro here in just a moment, and I do want to say I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, night, and week. You have been listening to our Ball Python podcast, and I do want to say thank you for stopping by and listening. Join us next time when we have an interview with OK Ball, who is the breeder that we use here in Lubbock, and they will answer some questions for us, maybe uh, get some more questions thought about. But they have agreed to visit with us, and so I hope it'll be as entertaining for you as I think it will be for us. Before you leave tonight, I wish you would uh, hit the subscribe button and then come back and see us. Again, this is Larry saying thank you. I guess I need to put a disclaimer out there. I am not a lawyer, and so any advice I give should be taken with a grain of salt. If you have people that give you problems with housing, with anything like that, go ahead and see a professional legal person or consult somebody else, a doctor, whatever, if you have to go that way. Again, I am not a professional, and so do not take everything that I say as gospel. Thank you.